And I'm Karen Wright. It is 9.36. Joining me now is Shane Pujea, who is the extension agent for Lesur and Blue Earth Counties. Good morning, Shane. Good morning, Karen. How you doing? Good. Thanks for filling in for Barb again, who is probably toasty warm down in Georgia. I'm, you know, <laughs> yeah, we're yeah, we're we're enjoying a little bit of the of the uh, cold stuff today. Yeah, we will. We and it's going to be perhaps eight inches of snow, perhaps fourteen. I've heard anywhere from that amount. So who knows? And in a way, I'm glad because the ground was was not didn't have any snow cover, and snow cover is right. a good thing many times for. Mm-hmm the the ground and the plants and i know i put mulch down to try and prevent the heaving and the thaw freeze mm-hmm. cycle so the snow is going to be helping as well mm-hmm. yeah the snow is going to be really helpful for some of our our kind of our uh, our plants that are you know kind of our winter annuals kind of like that garlic if you have garlic out there um you know the extra snow cover is going to be good to keep to make sure that uh, we don't lose any of these plants to uh, extreme cold because you could, that snow really acts like a blanket. Uh, and other things like strawberries also probably could enjoy a little bit of this. And we're still just a tad short on our moisture, too, yeah. uh, in Blue Earth County. So, you know, any any little bit can be helpful. Now, you before we got on the air, you mentioned something about the snow and the relationship of it to Japanese beetles and of course that's a big question yes. we get often so what is the relationship of a lot of snow with Japanese beetle good thing bad thing uh yeah so like and I and I also told you that there's you know one thing is not necessarily good for every living critter and and the other thing is not necessarily bad for all <laughs> right. critters but um with Japanese beetles particularly so right now they're kind of in their grub version okay so a lot of times they're going to be overwintering deep in the soil you know they can get down to at least a foot uh, if it gets bad enough and one of the things that usually can kill them in the winter time is if we don't have a lot of snow cover and we have really cold temperatures so uh, when that snow comes on and like I said it acts like a blanket a lot of times those grubs can uh, can make it through the winter okay so Ugh. that's kind of one of maybe the negative things is you know when we get warmer winters and we have a you know snowpack that is protecting them it makes it a challenge for the following growing season are there other things do you know like the voles and the moles i know i i often see yeah. the little vole trails in my grass mm-hmm. with snow now they have a place to kind of hide under don't they yeah that's right yeah voles are kind of uh, interesting critters. The, the snow is kind of a form of protection from them because if there is no snow um, a lot of birds of prey or uh, other critters can find and, and track them down easier and now when we talk about voles uh, so people I like to think of them as runways uh, you know you might yeah. see little little trenches uh, in your garden and, and I've had that happen a few times on my end I had some cover crops that I was growing some kind of oats and hairy vetch which is a, a type of legume and um you could see these little runways that come through. So what's the difference, you know, between the moles and the voles? So voles with a V, a lot of times they're going to be the ones that actually eat the roots and yes. eat uh, things, cause damage. Moles, a lot of them are just going after kind of grubs or other insects. They do damage things uh, in the garden, but a lot of times it's kind of incidental. They're trying to get at something else, and they might heave some soil over and uh, knock things down, but they're... Their main meal is is the bugs in the ground. So the moles are actually kind of a good thing in a way, but the hard thing is they're kind of hard to tell apart. Yeah, they are. 
I like to think of a vole as kind of like a cross between a mouse and a and a and a mole. <laughs> you know, they're they're not they're not big guys by any means, and um, they're really kind of a interesting critter. But um, they do cause headaches, um, so you got to be keep an eye out that, especially when we uh, and 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 for a lot of the mammals that too that are in the winter time. If you've got nice young trees mm. that aren't you know very well protected. Sometimes when we come out of wintertime, you might see that it's been girdled. Or when I say girdled, I mean like the bark getting chewed up around the outside. Voles can also do that. So got to keep on our toes for those critters. How do you tell the difference then? Is it one has a pointier nose or something? I'm trying to recall what the difference was again. Well, yeah, like they, like as I said, the, the vole kind of um, uh, looks more like a, a mouse to me, uh, you know, uh, they're they're a lot smaller than a gopher or a mole, mm-hmm. um, so that's one of the things that we have to uh, uh, keep an eye on. You know, they're about like half the size of a gopher, if that. So, um, kind of just some of the things, and then also looking at runways and damages when we're in our garden. I know. I recently, before it started snowing, I wrapped some of my younger trees that I planted either this year or within the last few years that have some of the smaller. Uh, diameter trunks etc because i've had in the past where even rabbits sometimes will chew on the bark and if they yeah. chew all the way around and gird what you said girdle it that mm-hmm. is how the the food essentially gets up in the tree and, and it will kill them in the past i've had where i put like a fence around my uh, burning bushes mm-hmm. because they seem to like that a lot but mm-hmm. when the snow gets high they can jump right over so i mean you gotta it's kind of a battle all all the time <laughs> it seems like right Right, it is a battle, and uh, it, it, some trees can grow out of it if they get part of their trunk girdled. And um, but if it goes all the way around, usually that's a death sentence uh, or more than half. So again, it, it's kind of a it helps. You know, I kind of am a fan of of plant lots of little trees and then see what what makes it out. If you're in a really um, area that's prone to damage from mammals, whether it be voles, rabbits, deer taking some of those precautions, usually physically excluding them is the best course of action with cages. Uh, excuse me, but, you know, uh, sometimes putting more out there. So if you can get, like, little saplings from the Soil and Water Conservation District, those can be really good if you're kind of in a more rural setting and you've got a, you've got some space. So <laughs> You mean uh, just cheaper. kind of randomly put them out and hopefully they don't, don't eat them all? Is that what you're saying? Sometimes, uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll be lying if I said I haven't done that once. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes it's, you know, put out, put as many as you can out there and see what survives and then take care of those a little more closely. So <laughs> see what if sticks. you're a <laughs> couple strategies, I guess. Yeah, I put some of those plastic, they're like white plastic, because I read somewhere that the white yep. is better for reflecting because yep. um, the dark, mm-hmm. if you have like a real dark, that can mm-hmm. absorb more heat, and maybe that's not so good mm-hmm. for the tree. Right. Um, and I also mm-hmm. use the, the paper. It's kind of a corrugated, almost papery wrap. Is that an okay thing? Because that's all I had it for one of my ginkgo trees that I used this this fall. Yeah, you know, there's there's. I think that you'll probably be okay. So for certain circumstances, uh, we might talk more about conifers later, um, a lot of times people will wrap them in more burlap type material, mm-hmm. um, and that will wrap the whole kind of tree with the foliage and everything. Yeah. And a lot of times that can be used for for salt, uh, to prevent salt damage, oh. or, uh, you know, sometimes when we, we deal with 
not a lot of moisture in, in the wintertime and the sun comes out and it tricks the plant into thinking, oh, oh it's springtime and it starts trying to find water. And then while that's going on uh, and it's chugging away with photosynthesis, those winds will blow in from the north and west, strip all the moisture and you end up with dead needles. So you see that a lot um, with arbovitae yeah. and, uh, and sometimes with uh, white pines. So you'll notice some people might wrap them up in burlap or, or have a snow fence kind of uh, to kind of cut the wind a little bit. Although, let me tell you, we've got, I don't know how many arborvitaes around kind of the edge of the property, and they're probably some 20 feet tall now. There's no way I'm wrapping those, and you just kind of no, go. No, <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly right. There are labor concerns, you know, material concerns, but on the, when, they, when they're small like that, they're, they're, they're pretty vulnerable. So it might be a good idea to, to do that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's probably too late now, but, you know, usually you keep up your watering schedule with those small arborvitae and young, young conifers up until that ground freezes. So that if there, if it does happen, if the, the plant does act accidentally start up again, kind of in the, in the wintertime, um, it'll have some moisture around there and, and it may, might be able to, to survive that kind of, um, blast of cold. Yeah, I think it was just last week um, after we chatted the week before, Shane, that I actually went out and watered some of my new conifers mm-hmm. that I, I planted because it still wasn't frozen hard. Since we're talking about conifers mm-hmm. and trees, let's talk a little yeah. bit about Christmas trees. A lot of folks may be looking for Christmas trees. Uh, some people have artificial ones. Some people go get real ones. And I know there's some area farms around here that offer yes. that service, cut your own. And there's also ones you can buy at big box stores and nurseries, etc. So what are your thoughts on the the trees because I know you talk a lot about trees in your your work mm-hmm. yeah so a lot of times in, in people will probably pick probably uh, there are exceptions uh, but a lot of times people will be choosing one out of three of these kind of conifer species so you'll have firs you'll have pines you'll have spruces those seem to be kind of the most uh, popular ones in particular the firs I would say um, and you know kind of a way to tell the difference between these three kind of big groups not perfect, but it's a good way to kind of make it clear in your head. A lot of times when I get calls in the office, people say pine trees when they really just mean a conifer. So um, when we go out and and, and I take a look, it's like, oh, this is a spruce or, oh, this is a fir. So uh, one of the easiest ways is, you know, you can kind of think of two buckets. You have one bucket that's the pine bucket, and then the other bucket is the fir and spruces. So the pines will have their needles in a bundle. And it's attached to a single point on the twig. Spruces and firs, one needle is attached to one part on the twig. So we kind of think of it like that way, so you can at least separate them out further that way. Oh, that's interesting. So I get, never I yeah. never knew how to, to tell that apart because I know we've got fir in our yard and we've got spruce in our yard. And, and now that mm-hmm. you mentioned, I think looking at the fir, yeah, it's kind of like the needles are in like a bundle on the uh, a branch versus being yeah. the needles all over the one one yeah, stick. The, the, pine, the pine will have the bundles. Oh, yeah, um, or the, the pine. The fir yeah. and the spruce will be the individual needles. Yeah, now, that, the way that to tell the difference between the fir and the spruce, uh, one kind of fun way to do it and the, I, I remember hearing this from a North Dakota extension educator. You can shake hands with a fir. You can't shake hands with a spruce. So if you grab a spruce twig, you're going to get poked. Okay. Um, if you grab a fir, it's a lot more kind of gives way, and it doesn't uh, poke you as bad. Um, that's kind of a quick, easy, fun way to do it. And, and, but one way I kind of prefer is just pluck a needle from a fir. It'll be really hard to roll it between your fingers. 
But if you take a spruce needle, it should roll pretty easy. Like a toothpick um, almost. Yeah. So for, if you walk up to a, to a Christmas tree and you're wondering what type, if it's got a bundle of needles, usually two needles or, or a five-needle bundle, uh, it might be a pine. Um, otherwise, then you go down the list to your, okay, is it a fir or a spruce? And then you can do that handshake test or you can do that needle test to kind of see which one's which. So I suppose when you, I recall growing up when we had a spruce, because we, we had a lot of acreage on a big farm, and we'd go cut yeah. our own in the woods. And I remember having spruce, and they were not fun to have in the house because they were pokey, and you tried to put <laughs> ornaments on them. They are prickly. So I, those are ones I guess I would not recommend because of that. Yeah, you know, it's again, it's it's kind of a, a personal thing, too. You know, maybe some people grew up with a spruce, or maybe they liked how uh, it smelled, although... Mm. A lot of these can be very nice smelling, um, you know, and a lot of it has to do with how easy can you hang ornaments on it or sure. how easy can you wrap lights or other kind of things around it. So all these kind of little kind of traits are, are taken in when people are looking to buy a, a Christmas tree. So what ones do you recommend? Because, I mean, I've heard all, you know, there's scotch pines, there's mm-hmm. all kinds of different ones that are available, and I'm just mm-hmm. curious what your thoughts are. Well, it, like I said, it's going to be a lot uh, due to the, the person's uh, preference, although, you know, fir, pine, spruce, all of them are, are fine. Um, you know, Douglas fir or Fraser fir seem to be kind of the most popular mm-hmm. ones, but like you said, it spruces can be a little pokey. Um, but you know, it's up to you and your family, what you, what you want, as long as the tree is, is healthy, uh, when you, when you pick it, um, you know, I, I don't think that there's any major concerns. Are we going to experience drier trees? Cause we had a drought this year and I know it was yep. one year. Is that mm-hmm. going to be a significant effect? I, I think I heard or read somewhere that there were actually considerations of shortages in some areas of trees mm-hmm. this year. Yeah, that's a great question. So. Uh, like a lot of things, you know, there's a lot of demand and there's not a lot of supply. And there's a couple of reasons for that on the tree side. Um, drought was pretty severe through most of the country. Um, so a lot of times the trees that we get imported or, you know, kind of out of state type trees are coming from the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they got hit pretty bad with a drought. And, and usually they're pretty wet up there. So uh-huh. a lot of the farms that were that were present didn't have irrigation. So there was some issues there. Also, you can't, uh, trees are not an annual crop, usually. You can't just plant, you know, when when tree farms are making their decisions, um, you know, these plants were probably picked up and uh, planted before the the coronavirus pandemic or Mm -hmm. anything else. So that's one of the challenges with having a tree farm is trying to get, um, you know, meet demand when you have to plan out years in ahead of advance. So... A lot of people are looking to stay home and be with family, and, and there was a big demand in, demand increase in Christmas trees for uh, this year and last year. So, you know, we'll see what happens, but it's still largely determined by supply and demand, just like everything else, it seems. And I would think that if you're able to cut your own, it would be a lot fresher versus, I don't know how long it takes, like you said, if a lot are coming from the Pacific Northwest, how long are they in transit, yeah. sitting in a, a warehouse or something? Any ideas? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I really recommend if you can. Um, so if you can try to find get your Christmas tree locally. So there's a couple resources you can use. Uh, one is to go to uh, Minnesota Grown 
com, and you can kind of look at Christmas tree farms. Now, it doesn't have all of them. I will say uh, there was one in uh, Lesseur County that uh, is pretty popular, Brewery Hill uh, Christmas mm-hmm. Tree Farm, that uh, wasn't on that list. But um turns out that they sold all their you know their the season was over it ended early because of oh. of the of the great demand so i would always call those farms and and figure out if they're still open for um for sales or or cut your own um but yeah that's a good place to start minnesotagrown.com and I think that's Minnesota grown, isn't that have like all local farms, yep. not just Christmas trees, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it that yeah, way a, you can yep. save on your transportation costs and all that right. sort of thing. Right. And, and, and one of the, so a lot of times we hear about what's better for the environment, uh, artificial tree or a natural tree. And, uh, there is some research about it, not a ton, but, um, you know, it really helps the calculus push towards, um, uh, getting your own natural tree. If you, you can go out there. You can pick it up. It's you don't have to have it shipped from anywhere. Um, you know that makes it a lot more uh, friendlier to the environment if you can if you can pick up a local tree uh, yourself and, and you don't have have it shipped in from Washington or Oregon. And I know we always talk about after your tree is done, if you've got the real tree, <laughs> put it out in your yard, and it's a great place for a shelter for wildlife. It's exactly right. And not only that, Karen, you can uh, a lot of times if people chop it up or mulch it or or, or put it uh, it decomposes and recycles some of that nutrients into your soil so it, it you know one of the benefits I'm, I'm more i'm a big fan of, of natural trees um you know if you have an artificial tree that's that's perfectly fine if you want to kind of push yourself more towards being more environmentally friendly the longer you can continuously use that artificial tree the better usually you know if you can keep it for four years or more that's when it starts to be okay so it's about as much impact in the environment as as a natural tree but um you know if you have an artificial tree keep using it uh if you're looking to get a new tree this year natural trees are perfectly fine well we actually have an artificial one because some friends of ours were moving out to colorado and they had this mm-hmm. big tree and they didn't want to move all their stuff and they said hey hey do you want this and we were going mm-hmm. on 10 plus years and uh, at one point right. the lights they had lights on and they burned out so we you know just remove those and it, I figure on an artificial tree if you put enough ornaments on you can't even tell if there's bare spots <laughs> <laughs> yeah right and that's good and then you brought up a great point so a lot of times if if you have an artificial tree instead of tossing it in the garbage you know maybe look for a friend that can use it if it's in pretty good shape yeah um you know make sure you keep that that in use as long as you can so that it that it uh, that you can get the most bang for your buck, environmentally speaking. Yeah, because I mean, normally I'd probably prefer a natural one, just because I'm kind of like you. But since we have it, it's like, well, we got it. We're going to use mm-hmm. it. But I've been yeah. doing a lot lately with, uh, you know, I know that there's places that sell what they call spruce tops, and I just yeah. go around my yard. And not everybody has this opportunity, but I go around my yard and I'll cut some branches off my yew, some branches off my fir, some branches off my my pines, and then I make mm-hmm. my own uh, pots of, of winter greens. And I take, I've been going to our crab apple tree and I still got a lot of little crab apples with those little red ones on. So that's, <laughs> I mean, it's not going to hurt the, the, the trees doing that. And um, I, I think it's a great way to utilize something that you have handy and my junipers as well. Yeah, that's per, that's a great great reason. Most trees can handle it if you you trim a a couple of those tips off uh, on the sides. Um, and it, and and again, a lot of times if even if you if you don't have the opportunity to do that on your own property, a lot of those Christmas tree farms do also have those wreaths and other kinds of 
uh, decorations that you can get that are made from uh, fresh tips as well. Yeah, the natural stuff is always good. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about uh, poinsettias and things like that. I guess we used to, yeah. growing up, we call them poinsettias, and I know yeah. they're poinsettias, you know, tomato, tomato, however. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. And. I, I, there's, of course, a lot of those for sale, and I've seen so many people that would like to keep them, you know, and, and grow them year-round, but frankly, they're a tropical plant, and I consider them a bit of a throwaway plant because of that. <laughs> yeah, I, get, I, I I mean, there's a lot of people that are really interested in growing poinsettias. It's really not that many. I think there's very a handful of actual companies that are involved in growing on a large scale, maybe one uh, you know, very few companies are, are kind of in charge of growing this on a large scale. But, you know, one of the things we're talking about, we you know, we hear kind of the myths of poinsettias, right, that they're the most poisonous plant ever. Yeah. They're going to kill you and your family, you know. And they're not, kind of right? No, and they're really not. I mean, they're not going to, you know, it's obviously it's going to make your stomach upset, other things like that. But It's not going to kill know, you. No. It's not. It's not really. A, there are other plants that you might have in the garden that are much more dangerous than a poinsettia. Let's just put it that way. And I think another thing, when you get them, the first thing I always do is take off that foil wrapper. It's so pretty. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, at our church, I know they they people buy them and then they put them all around the church, and it looks really nice. And then those foil wrappers, and within oh a couple of weeks or so, they start to lose their leaves, and it's because all the water, if they water them is is basically staying yeah trapped and giving them root rot and i think a lot of people have that experience and say oh i have a brown thumb well no you just need to give it drainage (laughs) yeah that's that's a great point and that's true for a lot of indoor plants um you know it, it might depend on specifically what types of plants you're getting uh but that issue the drainage issue is is can be very key for things like poinsettias and other other plants that are, you know, not a cactus or something. Um, but, um, yeah, I, and then we were also talking, we were talking about, you know, is there a, is there kind of a version of a poinsettia in Minnesota? And there is. There is? Because so, uh, I thought they were just tropical. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you see, there is a relative of, okay. of poinsettias. So poinsettias are in the Spurge family. There is another uh, plant called wild poinsettia. It's also called fire on the mountain. Oh. It is native to Blue Earth County even. There's really? some recordings of it. So if you're ever walking kind of, if you're in, oh, kind of maybe in a little bit of disturbed area, uh, kind of maybe a forest edge or something like that, and you notice a green plant with some really striking red, just a little bit mm-hmm. on the leaves, it might be one of those wild poinsettias. Is that down here in so, southern Minnesota? I don't think I've ever seen one. Yes, yes, it really? is. It's it's huh. so there are recorded uh, herbarium records uh, in Blue Earth County with this uh, painted leaf uh, is one is probably a, another common name for it, but it's in the same genus, same family as as the poinsettias you get at the store. So that was kind of a neat little thing. I've run across one of them before in Iowa, but huh. um, they're really kind of an odd looking plant it's got that really brilliant red but it's just a little teeny bit of uh which is technically its flower uh but they're called bracts you know, aren't they i know on poinsettias they're they're bracts not yeah, really bracts. yeah yeah the bracts exactly it but it's just a little teeny bit it's not a big part of the leaf that's probably why you know people don't domesticate it and and uh, yeah i was going to ask if you it. found them in a nursery you could grow those in your yard or wouldn't you're necessary they're not that significantly beautiful maybe yeah they're they're a little 
they're probably an acquired uh, <laughs> an acquired plant, but it's still got that. You can kind of tell it's got some of that relative. You know, it's you could see it's maybe a, a cousin oh. of a poinsettia. It's the, knee, the leaves are way narrower, um, but it's still that that little bit of red kind of gives it away. Well, I want to thank you for for calling in and chatting with us today. We are out of time. It's always great to talk mm-hmm. to you. We've been talking with the Lesur slash Blue Earth County Extension Agent Shane Bujea, who has been doing this since 2017 in in these counties and, and just a wealth of knowledge. Appreciate you filling in for Barb uh, and learning new things. Have a great rest no of your week, and uh, we'll talk to you hopefully again soon. All right. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye. Always fun to talk with Shane and the folks that, the gardeners. I love talking to other people about plants. It's one of my things I love to do.